Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I'm Tyler, and joining me, as always, is our co-host, Smitty. Be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find Pocket Casts. There's so many things that we're on right now. Go follow us there. We have our own channels. And also, go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're trying to grow that up as well. And also, if you want our, on Twitter, go check out our pin tweet. We have our Rocket Around the 412 Christmas fundraiser going. You're able to check it out there or go to GoFundMe.com directly and type in Rocket Around the 412 and you can check out the mission. We're trying to raise some money to help out some families for Christmas and give kids the Christmases that Smitty and I have always been uh, able to uh, have growing up and people aren't so fortunate. So we try to help them out. This is year five. Last year, we raised over $11,000 just that year, which is nuts. Mm-hmm. We'd love to eclipse that this year. So if you want to go to, to either the pin tweet on Twitter or GoFundMe.com directly and search Rock Around the 412, you can read about the mission there and donate if you choose. Yeah, $20,000 raised through the four years of doing it so far. Um, but like you said, 11000 of that was last year. So more than doubled the previous three years on its own. Um, but yeah, all right. So we're going to jump right into this. We got to talk about we're going to talk about the Steelers first and foremost whatever that was last Thursday night against the Browns. Um, but what we're going to start doing, we're going to introduce a new segment to the show every week after Steelers games. We're going to have Sarge's Steelers notes. You guys might know Sarge. He's been on the show a couple <laughs> times. He also used to do the editing for our YouTube videos. We mentioned him a lot on here. But it's so interesting because I think that he views sports so much differently than I. It's a nice contrast. Like some of the stuff that he picks up on, I just don't catch it and vice versa. So it's interesting right. to see like the things that he keeps track of while watching Steelers games, and he he sends me his notes now on things that he's picking up on. So first and foremost, and, and this has to be true, when he sent it to me, I was like, this has to be true, but I've never thought about this. The Steelers are the only organization in sports where their head coach, where every head coach has won a championship. That has to be true, I, right? I'll take Sarge's word for it, because... Well, well, I'm not I looking like... this up, I'm, because I want it to be true. I, I feel like it has to be. So it's every organization in the sport has won a championship. Every out of every organization in sports, the Steelers are the only team where every head coach they've had has won a championship. Has Derek Shelton won a championship? No, the Steelers. Not, oh, not Pittsburgh. Uh, uh, oh, okay, okay. Only the Steelers you, okay. out of every organization in sports across all sports. I assume we're I assume we're just not counting before Chuck Knoll. We're not apparently okay. If we're talking Super Bowl era, then yeah. sure, that that's probably correct. Mm-hmm. Although if you talk, we don't talk about Browns fans. They they love to, t- to talk about their eight or ten whatever championships <laughs> they have. Yeah. And so yeah, Chuck Nolan Pryor. I guess that's true. Uh, objectively, that guitar thing was so dumb. I do agree with this. I thought it was terrible, and I'm not saying that because I'm a Steelers fan. We were playing against them, and they did it against us. I thought it was horrible. I thought it was horrible the previous week. I think it's dumb. Donovan Mitchell's the one that did it this week or against us. Guitar thing? Am I missing yeah, something? So sma- smashes a guitar with the logo of the team that they're playing on the guitar. Oh, I, I, I guess I, I just maybe I just didn't. If you watch weren't watching, yeah, if you weren't watching pregame, you wouldn't have seen it. So that's I, I had no idea that was a thing. So that's a Browns thing. Yeah, they're going to okay. be doing it every week. It appears. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, Naj got to bring back the visor. Visors make every player look cooler. I do agree with that second statement for sure. I understand why Najee, before the season, he said he didn't want to wear it because he wanted to be looking people in the eyes. 
Um, but I'll be honest, it's not really happening anyway. So might as well look cool doing it and bring back the visor. Are they allowed uh, to have so, tinted visors in the NFL? I feel like I've oh, t- what do you mean tinted? Like they can be dark or smoked, like the visor itself. Well, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. like can can it be like a black visor? Yeah. Yeah, he should do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Browns jerseys are ugly. Who approved this color scheme? Again, I, this isn't like bias because I'm a Steelers fan. No idea. Brown and orange. Yeah, you, you got me. I have no idea. That's terrible color scheme. Uh, I like this one a lot. It seems like Kevin Stefanski has aged like a president during his tenure with the Browns. Seriously, this dude looked like super young <laughs> when he became the Browns. And he is relatively young for a head coach, but he did look like very, like super young when he became their head coach. Now he's got like the salt and pepper look going on in the beard. And yeah, there's some gray show in there. I mean, when you have to deal with the situations he's had to deal with, I mean, all the QB turmoil, both on and off the field. There's there's been a lot going on there. It's time there. The OBJ stuff. Yeah, I so. mean, I, I'm sure just any coach in Cleveland that, that that'll happen to you. It probably is like being a president. Yeah. Um, Amari Cooper needs some vis- visible facial hair. I can't take him seriously the way that he looks. Yeah. So <laughs> I would have said the same thing if he didn't put up the numbers he did against us. Because now I'm taking him seriously. This is but the, type of the baby stuff face like... look is. Very odd. What if he can't grow facial hair? Oh, that's a good point. Like Josh Dobbs and Shazier and stuff. Well, no, no, I'm not not saying like some people just don't grow facial hair. Like they have hair, they just can't grow a beard. Yeah, like I mean, me in certain spots. I mean, look at KSI. KSI yeah. has hair. I mean, his hairline's terrible, kind of like yours. But he has have, hair. wait, have you seen have you seen Jimmy Butler recently? Dude, his his dreads are stupid. But, yeah, but it's then, so but funny because he just he, well Jimmy Butler's hair he did it just to like he did it to mess with everybody. Yeah, that's a nut. That's the type of stuff that Sarge wants to be talking about is Jimmy Butler's yeah, hair. Clearly. Um, ha- having a QB who can move even a little bit is so nice. Yeah, uh, I would. Yeah, enjoy but you're sacrificing a one that can throw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not that Ben the past couple of years could throw that well, but I mean. I, I don't know. I don't know which one I'd rather have right now. A a mobile Mitch Trubisky that can't throw or an immobile Ben that can throw a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk way more about this, but like that the first quarter and in, into the second were pretty promising from the offense. And then see ya. Yep. Um, Najee scares the dickens out of me when he hurdles. I know he's good at it, but every time he does it, I get a little nervous. Yeah, he, I think he enjoys it too much. Like, I'm, I'm worried at some point, and it's unnecessary a lot of the times, too. Like, it's not doing anything. He's gaining, like, another yard. But I'm worried that at some point, somebody's not going to go down and just stand up on him. He's going to have a nasty landing. Hmm. But he loves I mean, I'd, ra- I'd rather him do that than probably someone lunge at his knee, so... Sure. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I swear the Steelers play worse when they have a lead. Yeah. I mean, I think so that's I a think tendency it... with not just the Steelers. So that's yeah, just cause... sports in general, but a lot of the time football, because you take your foot off the pedal and you, you, you don't really try to, you, you, the, the urgency isn't there to try to score and run up the score more. And so you just kind of like try to coast to the end of the game. Right, and it's especially true, like, we would talk about points last year where the Steelers were getting blown out, and then the offense would finish with, you know, 400-some total yards of offense, and we're talking, like, 
you look at, just look at the box score and you think, oh, the offense played well enough to win this game. But they were down 29 to nothing. Like they, were, they did nothing but throw in the fourth quarter. Like, yeah, it, it's different you know, situations like that. Um, also, the I'm Steelers thinking, offense isn't good enough to even hold a lead. So, yeah, they, they, they should try to score every single drive. And this is the last one. I'm confused. You see Pickens make that sick catch early in the game. Why are you not trying that kind of stuff more often? Well, because I Mr. Mean, Trubisky doesn't throw to the, the he, he, I, I don't know. He, he's not good. I blame the quarterback. That's also, I mean, that's not something, unless he means trying to get the ball specifically to Pickens, like that play is something that they shouldn't be trying. Like that catch isn't going to happen again. Like they shouldn't the, be trying things like that. On, that, on play that play, the ball should have gone to the middle of the field. Yeah. Chase Claypool is wide open in the middle of the field on that exact same play. But if, if the, if the note itself was about getting the ball to George Pickens, I 100% agree. Although the stats show that he's not being quite truthful when it comes to how open he always is. Deontay Johnson is third in the league. Um, actually, like ESPN just created this new stat to actually show this. Deontay Johnson, I believe, is only behind Stephon Diggs and one other player. It might be Tyree Kill. Somebody else, obviously, like an all-world player. Right. And Deontay Johnson is third in terms of that, uh, like 90% basically open. Um, George Pickens was not anywhere in that stratosphere. So, but he's not somebody that needs to be like, he's the guy that you want to make those contested catches. Although that one in the end zone, um, where he like just got one hand on it and it was almost an interception. If the guy's foot wouldn't, wouldn't have been out of bounds. I don't know what Pickens was doing on that one. First off, only going up with one hand. Second off, it just seemed like there wasn't much effort on his part to, to get to the football. He just, uh, I mean, I'm not going to like start calling him lazy or anything like that, but on that specific play, it didn't look like he had much interest in catching that football or he thought it was going to be way overthrown more than it was. I don't know, but there was some miscommunication on that play. Yeah, I, I don't know. As far as Sarge's note goes, that, that play probably shouldn't happen that often. And in terms of that catch, that, that catch isn't <laughs> a play. That was just a freakish athletic ability that, that he yeah. caught the ball. Um, yeah, I don't think that they're necessarily dialing something up that in the playbook that looks like that. Right. Um, but all right, so now we can just kind of segue this and talk about this game and give our thoughts on it. Um, like I mentioned, I, I actually was was su- pleasantly surprised with what I saw from the offense through basically two quarters of this game, the first two quarters. Uh, they looked like they were trying some different stuff. Again, not really utilizing the middle of the field, but it was working, so it kind of like hid that. It was mass. We weren't really talking about it, but they were running the ball effectively. The offensive line, again, took another step, which if you're going to like try to draw some positives here, I think that's one. The offensive line has been really solid. Um, they ran the ball well. Deontay Johnson was creating separation a ton from Denzel Ward, although he had a couple big drops, and I'm not going to absolve blame from him. Somebody's accused me of that in the past because I'm a big Deontay Johnson fan. They said I won't criticize him, but there you go. He had two pretty big drops in this game. Um, but you, you you look at the defensive side of the ball, too, and, and it's a short week, and they've already played, going into this game, the most snaps in the NFL, and then they had to play that much again. And But, but here's the thing. From the beginning whistle, they couldn't stop the Browns offense. Jacoby Brissett was doing what he wanted. They were getting no pass rush and they looked like the same run defense from last year. So much to the point where Tyson Alualu is no longer the starting nose tackle. They did make one change on the depth chart and it wasn't the one that people wanted to see them make a quarterback. Uh, Monty Adams has overtaken Tyson Alualu for that starting spot. So, I mean, just on the surface, this was another bad football game, which I'm putting the majority of the blame on the offense because they're going three and out and the defense has to come right back out. But the defense didn't really do themselves any favors either. I mean, this isn't like a Browns offense 
that their passing attack should be doing what they were doing. They, they obviously can set up that with the run, but Jacoby Brissett was having all day to throw back there, and he was not looking like the quarterback that we know Jacoby Brissett to be. He's fine, but he, he shouldn't have looked the way that he did on Thursday night. Yeah, no, he looked like an actual like capable starting quarterback in the league, which I, I, I'm not going to try to harp on Jacoby Brissett that, that much. He played a good game, but he's not a – like what you'd think of as a starting quarterback in the NFL. And so I think it was a big disappointment for the defense overall, not just the run game too. Like Jacoby Brissett had, what, 220 and two touchdowns or something along those lines. Yeah, Akella Witherspoon was bad. Yeah, I I don't think that the defense really has much to look at in this game and think that they did a good job. And as far as the uh, Tyson Alualu goes – my my prediction for I don't even know what the category was called, but preseason the the disappointing Most disappointing, player. yeah, yeah, I, I, it's looking he's already good right now if he's best yeah, he's already not a starter, yeah. <laughs> so I, I I'll hang my hat on that. As far as the offense goes, I in my head watching the game I was like, this is basically just a ticking time bomb. When's it going to go off? Because I knew there is no way that they're going to be able to sustain what they were doing through through the first like quarter and a half for four quarters and I mean you, you saw at the last drive of the first half that they they kind of stalled up and it, it kind of reverted back to what we had seen the previous weeks and it wasn't what we saw early in the game but at the end of the day you're like okay well maybe that's just that that drive we'll get back in the second half nope from then on out the offense was basically what we had seen the previous mm-hmm. two games Nothing going for them. They couldn't get a push in the run game. The it, Mitch was missing throws, and there was literally nothing positive to go forward from that game. And I, I, I just think that going into this game, I, I knew the Steelers were going to lose. I, I did not think they were going to win whatsoever. And in part, that, that wasn't even thinking about the defense playing as bad as I thought they did. I was only thinking about this offense is going to be so awful that they're not going to be able to put up points against anybody. And they only scored 17 points. When's the last time? Or when's, when are they going to score? Or I guess they did against the Bengals, but that game went to overtime and whatever. But, like, I want to see them score lots of points. It's not going to happen. I looked at the scores for, like, this past week. Just on Sunday, out of the 1 o'clock and the 4 o'clock games, I'm pretty sure, like, four-fifths of the teams would have outscored the Steelers in just those games. The offense is so pathetic and it gives me no confidence moving forward for the rest of the season. I just think the game overall was pretty bad. And I don't think that the Browns were really doing anything that special. I I just think the Steelers were playing that bad. Yeah. The Browns were doing what the Browns want to do. I mean, they were the, they bullied us honestly in this game. That's how they win football games, especially without who's going to be their starting quarterback from week 13 on. Um, you know, they want to run the football and set up the pass that way, but they they had no issues in doing that because we couldn't generate any type of pass rush and we didn't stop the run. Um, but, you know, it's so sad because you look at the offense and we're sitting here saying that this literally was their best offensive output. They scored more points against Cincinnati, but they had the pick six and it went to overtime and they had they scored two offensive touchdowns in this game for the first time this season. And like I said, for about two quarters, the offense looked like they had found something. What they were still not doing was targeting the middle of the field until that final drive, the garbage time drive, where they added a field goal before they tried the onside kick, and they finally started attacking the middle of the field, and Fryermuth had two nice catches in the middle of the field. But why? Like, why is it getting to that point? I I don't understand it at all. How are you just shutting off and, and not utilizing that big of a portion of the football field? Like, what is it? 
what what is the answer to this? I mean, can it be that they don't trust Mitch to throw to that portion of the field? Is, are they not? I, I, I honestly, it's it's hard for me to understand how an NFL offense is just ignoring it. Well, that's the thing. I don't I don't understand because as far as the play calling goes, it's not like they're not calling guys to run over the middle of the field. I mean, we've seen the still frames and everything. Like guys are going to those areas. The ball's just not going to them. And maybe it is they don't trust Mitch to throw over the middle of the field, but why are you limiting yourself to literally outside the hash marks at that point? If you don't the, trust your quarterback, quarterback to throw to a portion of the field, why are you trusting him to play in a game? I don't know. It drives me <laughs> nuts. And 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 I I who's the dude? I saw a video on Twitter. Was it Emmanuel Acho or how you ever say you say his name? Probably. Uh he was going over why that Mitch Trubisky is not the Steelers' problem, and it's like, go, I guess he was point was going on the play calling, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I think it's easy to hand pick four plays from a game where a quarterback can look good, but he threw the ball like thirty something times. It, I'm, I'm sure out of those thirty, there are four that will look like an actual good throw. Yeah, but His so, so to me, to me, that's just a lazy take that Mitch also isn't the problem. To me, that just means you're not watching the entire Steeler game and you're handpicking certain plays to make your narrative look good. It, not only is it the play calling, but it's also Mitch Trubisky. I, I, I'm sorry, yeah. it is not just one or the other. It is both, and it's very clear that it's both at this point. Yeah, I mean that's that's why I would disagree with people also saying that the the Steelers' only issue is Matt Canada. I think it is, you know, both of those things tied together. And, you know, to your point, there there are obviously going to be times throughout the course of the game where, like, receivers on Thursday letting Mitch down, where Canada draws up a good play, Mitch makes a good throw, the receiver drops the ball. So it's all these things really together. But to me, when you really break it down, what's the biggest issue then that's the conversation between the quarterback and the offensive coordinator. And regardless of what your answer is on this one, everybody can agree that it is much easier to replace the quarterback than the offensive coordinator in season. So which one is going to happen first? Kenny Pickett is going to come in for Mitch Trubisky before Matt Canada is fired. I'm sorry. That's what's going to happen. I mean, here's the reality of the situation. It's rare for any team to fire an offensive coordinator midseason. But if you're talking about the Steelers, they don't fire anybody midseason. They are just going to roll it out and and maybe deal with it after the season. So from then, you have to look at the quarterback because if nothing is going to change in terms of offensive coordinator, you have to adjust the quarterback and look at and evaluate what the quarterback is doing. And he's not getting it done. And listen, I'm not saying that Kenny Pickett is going to come in and be like Ben in 2004 and he's going to go undefeated into the playoffs and all that. I'm just saying whenever I look at Kenny Pickett, I see a guy that is going to be a more confident passer. He, I think he's going to do more pre-snap reads and he's actually going to let the plays progress down the field instead of getting happy feet and checking it down to your guy because you only make one read. And if that reads not open, then you start to panic. Kenny Pickett is a quarterback that's unlike most quarterbacks that we've seen get drafted high in that a lot of them tend to only have one to two seasons of college football that they are at that high of level, but they don't have many years to actually develop a lot of the like things that are outside of just the raw skill of the game. And I think that that's why Kenny Pickett, to a lot of people, was the quarterback that is the most ready to come in 
to an NFL team and be the day one starter right away. We saw Kenny Pickett come in in 2017 to pit, and he started in one game in 2017. Then the following year, 2018, from then on, he was a full-time starter. And we saw a guy with raw skill, but that didn't know how to use it, to, and frankly played pretty bad. I mean, I was at the ACC championship yeah, he where he something. had eight passing yards. Yeah. And to a Heisman finalist, and we saw him be able to develop into that. And so I'm not going to say that he's going to be the savior of the franchise at this point, but I do think he is going to give you better quarterback play. And anybody wondering, well, if he's not in the game right now, now do the Steelers not trust him or do the Steelers not believe in him or anything? And, or do they think he's just not that good yet? I'm like, look at what he did in the preseason. Granted, I don't see what's going on in practice right now, but he did everything in the preseason to win the starting spot it's just mitch did nothing to lose the starting spot and was basically the incumbent starter to that point now i did agree that i think that they should have started mitch and i think that was the right call but i what i don't agree with and especially at this point in the season even though it's only going to be week four this is the best time to make the change to kenny pickett because you had that 10 days between your games which is basically a, a bye week in and of itself, and you're coming back against the Jets. The teams that you're going to be playing after the Jets are your home or, or you're at Buffalo, home against Tampa Bay, at Miami, and at Philadelphia, and then you have your bye week. There is not going to be a better time before your bye week to make the change at quarterback, and the Steelers refuse to do that. And honestly, I think that is probably Mike Tomlin's pride. He's never had a quarterback controversy before. He's never had to deal with this issue before. And I think that he made a call that Mitch Trubisky's the starter. And I think it is just flat out pride that he's not changing from it. Could be. Yeah. I, I mean, to, to your point, though, I mean, you're on the brink of one and three, you know, if they should lose to the Jets on Sunday. And then at that point, do you make the switch then? Because look at those four games after that. If you're not making the switch then, I mean, your season, if it's not already lost at one and three after losing to the Jets, it's going to be after that that gauntlet. That they I mean, let's face it. That. Looking at the schedule before the bye week, the Steelers will be lucky if they're three and five. They will be lucky. And that that's to say that the offense actually puts up some points against these teams because you're going against teams that can clearly put up points in this next stretch. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that the Steelers can afford – to keep a bad quarterback play and with mixed with the bad play calling, but which we know that's not going to change. We're getting some bright spots on the offense. I'll give you that. Like we're getting some offensive line production that I thought is is good. They've been taking strides every week. I think the receivers for the most part have been really good. Najee, I mean, he kind of is what he is at this point. Like the, you're, you're, I thought he was good on Thursday. Get. I thought he was good. And then, I, I am finally happy that we have an RB2 that I can trust in to get some yards. I think Jalen Warren has been great. But mm -hmm. when you're looking at the quarterback play and it's going to be this bismal, I don't see why they didn't make the switch. And that's why I just think it's a prideful thing with Mike Tomlin. He's never really had to choose which, which quarterback is going to be in. He's always had Ben. The only time he had to choose which quarterback is going to start is in 2019. And yeah. that's because Ben was out and he had to deal with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. Outside of that, I don't see why you would keep Mitch in. Like, give me actual – someone, anybody, if you want to talk to me on Twitter, give me actual reasons why you would not make the switch to Kenny Pickett at, the, at this point in the season. 
Yeah. I mean, the, the, the argument at the beginning of the year was you felt like as a veteran and being in multiple systems that he gave you the best chance to win right now. But uh, again, you know, they're, they're one and two get the jets at home on Sunday. And if you can't win that one, not that makes it the toughest time to make a switch, but at one and three, I mean, you might as well play the rookie and start his clock because yeah. And also I will say to the people that, are saying, well, what if Kenny comes in and you don't really see much change or the offense doesn't make any, many strides? He's the rookie. I, I'm not saying that you want your rookie to perform that bad, but he's going to be given he's going to be given the benefit of the doubt way more than Mitch Trubisky is at this point. So I would not mind. I would per, actually prefer that if the offense is going to be bad, that I see Kenny Pickett as quarterback because if your expectation is that the offense is going to improve with Mason or not Mason Rudolph, hell, it might even improve with Mason Rudolph. But if if, if it's going to improve with Mitch Risky, that's just not going to be the case. Um, I don't know that we talked about it a whole lot. I, I mentioned it. Um, what do you make of them making the switch from Alu Alu to Adams? I mean, like you, you, that was your guy to be the disappointment, but we didn't really touch on that. Um, I mean, if, if you watch the the tape, I think, like, even if you watch the games live, I think it's pretty apparent that Tyson Alu Alu's lost a step. I mean, 35 years old coming back from that injury. But when you watch the tape, it, it's definitely magnified. It's worse. Um, I think this is the right call. I think Adams is obviously at this point uh, a better athlete. I think he's one of the better athletes at the position for sure. He just gives you more juice. I don't know how much he's going to add as a pass rusher, but Alu Alu doesn't do that anyway. It's more as a run-stopping thing. I I think it's as simple as one is going to be 27 years old and one is 35 years old. And I I think it's as simple as that. I think 35 years old Tyson Alu Alu is really showing his age. And maybe the, the recovery from the injury last year has a part to do with that. I'm sure it does. But with how bad the run defense is, you can't afford to keep the same guys in there week in and week out. And so if Montrevious Adams is going to give you that, that like not, not necessarily just a, a higher level of skill, but just a, an extra like pop on that defensive line, then sure. I, I, I think you'd need to do it, add some juice to it because I mean, I hate that I'm right. I, I didn't want Tyson Alo to be the Alo Alo to be the disappointment of the year, but that was just what I, thought looking at this roster who's going to be someone that is going to be a disappointment i mean coming off that type of injury and at his age it it really makes sense so it sucks for him but for the steelers moving forward i think it's the right call because you need to do something to be able to help the run defense and even without tj watt i mean the run defense has been pitiful i don't want to hear the excuse that tj watt is out when there are like seven other guys that contribute to run defense including along the defensive line and linebackers i understand tj watt is huge but in, especially in the run game and not the pass rush, there's a lot more that goes on than besides TJ. So it, it's just been pretty flat out bad. Yeah. I mean, if your entire defense is based around one guy, they're, they're, they're frauds. So big test on Sunday. Um, they better be ready to answer it. The Jets are missing three, three tackles. So, yeah, if they can't uh, get some pressure on Zach Wilson, it sounds like now instead of Joe Flacco, and the Jets, we're really going to have uh, – they're going to hear from us a lot following that game if they can't get any pass rush. But, yeah, Zach Wilson, um, it sounds like he's going to be back for this game, make his season debut. 
Um, obviously, he didn't have the rookie year that that you would want from him. Um, but th- again, we we talked about this as well. That that leash a lot of the times is too short on guys. You got to give them a good supporting cast. I mean, look at what two is doing now in Miami. You got to build something around them and insulate them in the best possible ecosystem. I feel like the Jets have started to do that, but again, now it's going to be tough without <laughs> those tackles that they've tried to protect him with. Um, yeah. But but the weapons are definitely there. So Zach Wilson definitely has to start answering some of these questions. Um, does that start on Sunday? I put out a tweet that um, just specifically because of right now, I am happy that it's Zach Wilson and not Joe Flacco. I think it's going to be tough for him to just come in cold like this and make his season debut um, as opposed to Joe Flacco. Say what you want about him. He's fifth in the NFL right now in passing. He had him in football games week in and week out these first three weeks. So he was in a rhythm already. He's got in, you know, like Zach Wilson and Garrett Wilson, their, their first round pick, haven't had a lot of time to work together because of Zach Wilson's injury. So to me, this is a little bit of a blessing in disguise that this this quarterback change is happening right here for the Steelers again on Sunday. I think so too. Um, and listen, I'm a BYU guy. I, I love me some Zach Wilson. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. I, I think that in terms of a guy that's coming in and it, this is going to be his first start of the season, it, it's a good situation for the Steelers to have. And as far as Joe Flacco goes, I'm, I'm sick of seeing him against the Steelers. I, I don't want to see more of the Joe Flacco special, which is just we're going to throw it down there and get a pass interference call and gain 60 yards. Um, but – I, I do think that the Steelers have the benefit of not only having uh, a well, not, not rookie anymore, a second-year quarterback uh, making his first start of the season, but also having a banged-up offensive line. And the Jets did improve in the skill positions for Zach, but they didn't really, at least in my estimation, get that much better on the on the offensive line, which to me is the most important part of protecting a young quarterback and, and making sure that he has every ability to succeed. I, I think that it's a good game for the Steelers to really turn it around, especially defensively in that front seven, and, and really show what they're capable of, kind of like they did in week one, even if it is without TJ Watt. And I, I, I think that Zach Wilson is capable of making some throws. I hope our corners play better, especially Witherspoon. I don't know if they're going to make a change in terms of like starting corners or whatever, but it, well, Witherspoon's the one guy out on the injury report that, that it sounds like not going to be able to go. Okay. So okay. there'd I mean, be we'll, it's be interesting to see what that cornerback rotation looks like without him because I mean, to me on the surface, what I think would happen is you have Sutton and Levi Wallace on the outside, and then you get more creative like Arthur Millett's the starting nickel. Mm-hmm. Um obviously you can see some Trey Norwood in there as well. You have James Pierre yeah. as an option on the outside as well. But I think that you would just see more of Sutton on the boundary. Probably. Well, I, I mean, either way, I think they do they do need to be able to play better because not that I mean, I understand Brissett had a lot of time to really pick them apart the way he wanted, but it's also mm-hmm. Jacoby Brissett. So at a certain point, I would think that you could start to make plays, but they didn't really. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a good opportunity for the Steelers. Now, my question is, like, do we think the Steelers' offense is going to be able to do anything in this game? Um, I, I think that the Steelers' defense should be able to – keep the game within wins reach but that's literally my fear going into every single game from here on out until there's a change of probably quarterback or we know play caller is not going to change until we see a physical change at the offensive positions I, I just don't see any reason for me to have confidence that the Steelers are going to be able to keep themselves in a game offensively yeah it's tough I mean 
obviously the Jets defense isn't anything to to write home about, but uh the Steelers offense, there's there's very few in the league that are worse. Um so it's a it's a battle of who's gonna be worse in my opinion. Um I don't know. I mean, the thing is, if the Steelers can just put together like three or four drives, that's all that this defense really needs. Assuming that, you know, you're getting them some rest here and there as well and not going three and out. That is the big thing. That's why the defense looked the way that they did on Thursday on a short week is because you're constantly going three and out and they're right back on the field. So it's hard for me to say. I, I can't, like, we can't get on here every week and expect, we can't say we expect the offense to take a leap because you, we have to see it to believe it. And I don't care what anybody says during the week in these to the media or anything like that. It just doesn't matter. One in one ear and out the other. Show me it on Sunday. Open up the playbook. Get the ball to the middle of the field. If it's Matt Canada restricting that, forget about it. If it's Mitch restricting that, get them off the hey, field. Hey, they're going to have some new sod over the middle of the field, so you might as well w- break it in, okay? Yep. Make some tackles over there. I, 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 I It's tough because I, I think that's part of the problem as well is, like you mentioned, the Steelers – offense has gotten so many three and outs that the, it's harping on the defense as well and not that the de- the defense Easily has their own the most struggles time on the field but but to send your defense out there drive after drive of just constant three and out or maybe you get one first down maybe and, but then you go another three and out. I, I i just i just think it's hurting this team so much that even if you're not going to score sustain some drives and eat up some clock and gives your defense a time to rest if you're not right. going to get a touchdown, at least be able to move the ball a little bit, but sh- they, they really can't do. All right. Prediction for the game. I'm going to say that, oh my gosh, it, 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 it's, it's tough for me because I'm like, do I want to be that, that pessimistic about it? <laughs> because I, I genuinely, and this is genuine. I genuinely have a hard time saying that I think the Steelers are going to beat the Jets. Because okay. I think the offense is so bad. I I'll say it though. I, I, I think that the final score will be hmm, seventeen to thirteen. Okay. I think I think I think that it's gonna be a low scoring game again. I mean, just because I don't think the Steelers offense is gonna be able to put up some points. But I do yeah. think that the defense is going to be able to keep the game within a, a winnable reach and that they're going to get to Zach Wilson a little bit, being his first start back on the season, and he's gonna make some mistakes. Make will probably have another pick. I mean, that's just ba- basically we should I feel like we should expect that weekly now. Um, but <laughs> I, I I think that yeah, seventeen to thirteen. That's that's my final score. I think that the Steelers will be able to pull it out and hopefully look a little bit better on offense. Like like I said, you don't have to score every single drive for me to think you look better on offense. Just just have some more sustainable drives. I'm gonna say so. I I know that I'm guilty of putting too much stock into Mike Tomlin's effect on this football team. I'm sure, but. Oh, he's having I just, an effect on the football team. He's keeping Mitch Trubisky as a starting quarterback. What I'm saying is <laughs> there are plenty of years where this team was not good enough to be 500, and they were 500 because of Mike Tomlin being the head coach. I just, at some point, 
think like especially in this situation they're one and two their backs are against the wall everybody's talking negatively about them the new power rankings have them at 26 which i know like probably means nothing to them but that's out there um i i this is and this is also the last time that i'm probably gonna pick them to win a game for a while when you look at the stretch that they have coming up (laughs) so all that said uh i will take the steelers on sunday against the jets 23 to 16 um i think they get a touchdown either from the defense or special teams or they set them up very close and that's how they that that we get that number because you're probably sitting there wondering how the heck is this offense getting 20 plus points well i just answered it they're they're not the defense or special teams will account for some of that (laughs) um so my final question to you before we move on from football talk if we see no change towards offensive effectiveness mm-hmm. despite that we have the going on the road against the bills the following week would well I'll, I'll make it a two-parter would you make the switch at quarterback then i feel like i already know the answer to that and then secondly do you think that tomlin will make the switch at quarterback if they see no strides um, I would have made the switch after this game on Thursday. So Agreed. I would also make the switch again, assuming the offense looks the exact same. Um, from Tomlin's perspective, do, okay, so the offense plays bad. Did they also lose the football game? Are you saying they dropped to one and three in this situation? I mean, if this scenario, I'm saying, I, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, because I think even if they if they don't look good, in, but they're two and two, then they're still kind of in a position where they're still like if you drop to one and three, I feel like that's more justification to make the switch. Not that. But what if they? But if, yeah, but what if they win like seven? Say they win a game seven to three with their only touchdown being defense or special teams. Yeah, I just I I think that the team I think even with a two and two record. I, yeah, I just I I, I just I'm can't, not agreeing with it. That's just oh the way I know. See it. I just I I I can't get behind that. That's like to me. Him still being in there is just Tomlin pride, and unless you can change my mind, I'm not. I I can't think differently of that. I don't think. I think he is prideful in the fact that he chose Mr. Bisky, and he does not want to be proven wrong this early in the season. That that's my opinion. I I would love if anybody else's opinion on that. I just think that the reason he's in there right now, especially after Thursday night against that terrible effort against the Browns, is that. Tomlin is too prideful to make the switch. Yeah, I mean, I I I can't necessarily disagree with it. So, but uh, I would love to see some of these questions answered on Sunday. Please, I'm sure we'll see some. We might not like the answers though. I'll be there with our sponsor, Teak Teach Barbershop oh, nice. Christian. Nice. So, uh, a little bit of a homecoming for Jordan Whitehead as well. Jet safety, Central Valley boy. So back on the field where he won a, a Whippeal championship. Um, but all right, let's move on to some Penn stuff because I got some questions for you. Uh, right. The next couple weeks, are, we're gonna, by the way. yeah, the next couple weeks we're going to be giving some like predictions for the team and also um, for for the league. So we'll mm-hmm. get into that the next couple weeks before the season kicks off. It is coming up, by the way, uh, October thirteenth. Penguins with a weird opener, by the way. Coyotes, is who they open up the season with. That's very odd. Um, yeah, but. Just some topics I wanted to to get your thoughts of. Now, he is injured right now, just day-to-day. Jeff Carter, um, we saw his play kind of fall off, obviously, at the end of last year. They were asking him to probably do too much. I mean, 
I, I think that that's a fair thought of the team. Like all the criticism can't necessarily be put on him when you're putting him in that role. Like he's not playing himself in that role, probably best suited to be on the third line. He was playing top line and second line minutes for a lot of the season due to injuries with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Um, mm-hmm. But what, what are your what are reasonable expectations? Do you think for Jeff Carter? Like I know that, if you just watched the show like the second half of last year on, it seemed like we hated the guy and didn't want him on the team. We wanted him to retire. Well, he's back. Um, so what, what is your thoughts on Jeff Carter heading into the 2022 season? I, I, I mean, I think that being in a full-time role and not having to use more minutes than you need to for him will, will do a lot for him. Um, I don't know what his off season like workout schedule was like I hope it's it's more than what it was in previous years I don't I don't know if the maybe the years he was contemplating retirement he just kind of like slacked a little bit I I I just think that it's going to help a lot to have him in a more not sheltered role but just not where he's going to be having to be overworked I guess um I I think as far as like expectations goes if you're talking points and stuff like that I, I, I mean, I just kind of meant generally speaking, like, what do you expect him to look like? We don't want him to fall off a cliff the way that he did the second half of last year. I think if he can look like, and maybe this is a bad comparison, but a Joe Thornton type of older player where he's still effective in the passing, like passing the puck, and he may not be the fastest player, but I think his hockey sense and facilitating the puck and using yeah. the ice Here's the I thing. Carter that, was still pushing towards 20 base. goals last year. I mean, he could still put the puck in the back of the net. I, my biggest gripe was with him defensively and in the faceoff circle, and that's why I was kind of making the push for him to play wing. But if he's going to play third-line center, as long as you're not using him on the penalty kill and can deploy him in the right situations, and that's where it comes down to Sullivan, that's not on Carter, um, I think that this could still work, and he could still be a serviceable player. Um you know, probably play on the second power play, I would assume. I think that there's still enough left in the tank for him to be a decent player. It's just, how are you getting the most out of him? You can't have what happened the second half of last year happen again. Right. I was I was actually trying to look and see how how many minutes he had at, like, uh, if he, if, did he play on the penalty kill at all? The penalty kill? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I would just take him off that. I understand right. that, that that's for that's for those bottom six guys, but I would just mm-hmm. take them off of it completely. Him and him and Boyle, we're we're out there a lot together on the penalty kill. <laughs> well, so you you got the thirty eight year old and the how old's Boyle? Is he also like thirty seven, thirty eight? Yeah, you got the you got the senior citizens club out on the ice during the penalty kill. I, right. Yeah, I I think it's better to just keep them off. You got enough young guys on the on the penalty kill or, or on the team. That yeah, just yeah, Drew O'Connor. Minutes, I think it will do him wonders. Drew O'Connor, that's like what he went down to the AHL to work on was the penalty kill. So I think that he's going to be a fixture for them in that role this year. Brock McGinn needs to be way better at it if they're going to use him in that role. But I'm going to keep saying it. Kasperi Tappanen should be out there in the penalty kill. He should, especially for how fast. Didn't they use him on the penalty kill in Toronto a lot? Yeah, he he's was good he at it. Multiple shorthanded goals. Yeah, and he doesn't do it here. But now that he's like. I feel like settled in to a third line role being back here. Why wouldn't you use him? So yeah, agreed. hopefully we see it. Um, a defensive combination that I want to talk about a D pairing. This looks like it could be 
I don't, the, the early returns on this are promising. Everything that we hear has been good about Marcus Pedersen and Jeff Petrie. It looks like those two are going to be playing together, the PD duo. Um, what do you expect from this this duo? Do you think that by the time that we're talking about it, like midseason, we're going to be saying, oh, this is like their best defensive pairing, similarly like we were talking about with Pedersen and Marino? And then a follow-up question to that, would that be once again a testament to how underrated Marcus Pedersen is because he would have done it with Marino and he would have also done it with Jeff Petrie? To answer the second question, yes. I mean, I, I still think he's still underrated. So many people hate him for I, I basically just because he's small and they don't like looking at him. That's what I think. I, I just think that he's a the, he's a skinny defenseman that's not that physical. I'll say he's small in terms like of his it. weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he's not short, but I'm saying like yeah. he's like a he's what like six four, 170 pounds. That's basically mm-hmm. just just skin and bone right there. I, I think that people dislike him because he, he lacks the physicality on the blue line and stuff. But what people don't realize is he's really good at using his stick and using his positioning to be a good defender. And as far as the pairing goes, I, I think that this could be a case like that. And I think that with Petrie, you're getting a guy that is an upgrade offensively with Marino. So you're not only going to be getting what I think should be the similar production to what Marino and Pedersen were, I think you're going to get enhanced in that offensively and allowing Petrie to be able to do what he can offensively and still have uh, Pedersen back there. Jeez, I'm getting confused. Pedersen back there to really like sure it up, and I, I think that the line could be better than that pairing was last year. I, I think that those two, and it, it, we we kind of have like a full-on – are one's offensive, one's defensive now on every single pairing. And and, mm-hmm. I, and I think that's going to work out really well. Right. Um, all right. So another player that I wanted to ask you about, I mean, I feel like we're two of the very few people left that still have any hope for this guy, Jason Zucker. Uh, he's kind of penciled in in the top six role. He's one of the few top six options they have, you know, with the way that the offseason went down. They didn't move him. They didn't buy him out. He's here to stay. Looks like he's going to be playing on that second line. Uh, Stored a beautiful goal in the preseason opener, kind of vintage Jason Zucker. But that's really been the gripe on him is he's not putting the puck to the back of the net. And that's when when you have that cap hit, you kind of have to do so. The playmaking has been there. He's, I think, better defensively than people probably give him credit for. But he hasn't put the puck in the back of the net. Are you still – I said that I think that we're two of the guys that are still holding out hope. Are you still holding holding out hope for Jason Zucker, assuming that he's able to stay healthy? Yes, I, I think he's a good hockey player. Um, yeah. I, I think he has the capabilities to be productive for this team this year. I, I think that some of the things that have uh, really kept Zucker down in terms of like production and everything is not only just – I think it, it was an adjustment coming to the Penguins and the, the, the how they played and everything. And to me, if you wanted his best production, you'd still play him with Sidney Crosby, but I'm not going to even get into that. Um, I, I think the injuries has also bothered him yeah, his entire sure. career as a penguin. And so as as far as that goes with getting it into production this year, as long as he stays healthy, I, I think that he can be really good on that second line. And I, I think that as far as defensively goes, now I don't know who they're gonna have on that right wing when we start the season with the with uh Malkin. I, I don't know if it's gonna be Rust, if it's gonna be Raquel, if it's gonna be Heinet, like I feel like there it could be multiple guys, um, but defensively goes. I think that Malkin would, would do well with having somebody that is better at defense than him on his line, because at this point in the career, 
I'm not saying Malkin is terrible at defense, but he's not like Sidney Crosby, for example. So yeah. I, I think it could be productive in that sense on the line, and I think it could be productive as well, just giving that playmaking ability. Now, hopefully this year, and I, I, I know that this is the one thing, and like you said, that has been the basically the Achilles heel as him as a Penguins. He hasn't been able to like score a ton of goals. But with Malkin being the playmaker that he is, I hope that maybe something can click in this year they can finally see that. Yeah, uh, you kind of I didn't have this on here, but you talking about that. It is it does still sound like it's kind of up in the air whether it's going to be Rust or Raquel as that right winger for, you know, both those lines. Which one's it going to be on which line? Um, if you're asking me, like they've always obviously Crosby, Gensel, Rust is a fantastic line. It's also we've seen it over the years make them a little bit top heavy. I would try Raquel on that top line first and foremost because of the chemistry that we saw Crosby and him have together, obviously but also because I think it just gives you more options down through the lineup. And if you put Rust on that second line, that's also, to me, a more, to your point about defense, a defensively responsible line when you're flanking Malkin with Rust and Zucker. And I think that there's obviously still enough offense to be had there as well. And if they can start getting some goals out of Jason Zucker this year, he doesn't need to score, you know, 25 plus. But if he can kind of be in like that Jeff Carter-ish range, you know, above 15, but less than 20, somewhere around there, I think we take that. Yeah, and I think on that line he'd get enough assists where you would you would be pretty satisfied with his total points total at the end of the year. Now, as far as the right wing goes for that, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that Raquel should have been on the the right wing last year for Sid, um, but that wasn't the case. I, I'm happy to see that they're testing that out in this preseason. And I, like I kind of mentioned when I was talking about Zucker. I, I wish Zucker would play with Sid as well because Zucker's best stretch of games he ever had as a Penguin were when he first got here and he played with Sid. Mm-hmm. And I know our, our boy Jan- Danny Shirey made that case. He wrote an article about it uh, a while ago. But while I think that ship has sailed, I do, don't think that you can say the case for – same thing for Raquel. I think there's very much a good opportunity to have him up on the line with Sid and Rust and Malkin. Rust basically has played well with whoever you play him with, but Malkin doesn't always do the same with whatever wingers he has, but he has played well with Rust. So I think that that line would be fine. And so moving forward, at least in game one, I think you should open up with Raquel on the top line and Rust on the second line. Yeah. Um, All right, final player. We got to go to the net. A guy looking for a new contract as well here pretty soon, too. Tristan Jari. Um, very unfortunate that we didn't get any answers to those questions that we had about how he would perform in the postseason because of injury. Um, but I, there's actually a lot of, like, even national-wise, I feel like people are pretty high on Tristan Jari coming into this season. Uh, he was the best goalie last year, and I just found this out recently, in terms of goaltending while on the penalty kill. That's probably why the Pen- Penguins' penalty kill was so good up until Tristan Jari got hurt and then fell off once he uh once he got hurt um but what are your expectations for Tristan Jari this year is he going to finally answer the bell in the playoffs and what's he going to look like you know after having that bad foot issue where he just said recently he felt 100 percent I I think he'll have another solid season I I think that what I want and what I've talked about on our shows previously when we've talked about Tristan Jari is to see the starts go down a little bit and not because I don't think that he should start that much. I think it's just better for him if he better quality start. of starts. You'll yeah. get better quality of starts. So give DeSmith a little bit more and you'll get more out of Tristan Jari himself. And as far as playoff goes, 
I mean, I hope they're there, and I hope we get to see him perform. It's just in terms of contract goes, it, it, it's really tough because you, you'd like to see he holds it like all the done, cards early. Exactly, you'd like to see it kind of done mid mid season, but then again, in a way, like you don't know what you're getting from a goaltender, like especially we haven't seen him perform in the playoffs. So it's up in the air for that. But as far as expectation goes, I would think that he has a really good season. I, I and especially in a contract year, he knows he has to play really well. Um, I mean, hey, who who says goalies need to play to get paid? Spencer Knight just got what four and a half million per season. He's played like thirty six total games. Yeah, for Florida. that's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So Jari, he got four and a half million. Jari's looking at at least five. Yeah, which sucks because I mean, goalies to me, and maybe this is a bad take, but goalies to me are like kind of like running backs in the NFL, where I don't want to oh, pay him that like, much. You sound like Evil Neil right now. Well, I, I just don't no, want to pay him that much. Like yeah, I, no, I, I like, and it's not that not that I don't want to give him a second contract. Like I don't want to give running backs a second contract, but in terms of actual just like yearly value of the contract, I don't want to overpay for a goalie. I'd rather get the production elsewhere on the team with money. There's very few goalies, in my opinion, that are worth paying, and most of the time, I mean, you can say this about a lot of contracts, they depreciate like right away. You know, how many goalies actually live up to the billing of these contracts? You see some of these massive contracts that are given out. How many goalies right now in the NHL would you give a, a, a deal to that's more than like four or five years? Vasilevsky, mm. obviously. I would say Andre Vasilevsky. Um, I'm trying to think of young goalies. Because like older goalies, I'm not giving that to. Even did did you see enough from Did you see enough from Shesterkin? that you would commit to him long-term? No. Not, not, yeah. not, not that, not that length of contract. No. Okay. Give it another year. Like if you want to, cause you, you don't know, that could be like a one hit wonder of a season. I, I, I don't sure. think you should pay anybody after one season. Like, like look at what Buffalo did with uh, what, what, who was it? The forward. Scored 40 goals. He came from Carolina. Yeah. Uh, um, Skinner. Skinner. Look what they did with him. I mean, now he's he's still like a he's a productive forward, but like he's not the 40 goal scorer that he was, and they paid him like it. I I I and I, I think it was smart that like Vegas with William Carlson. They I mean, I know he's a local guy. I don't want to necessarily talk bad about him. Anaheim with John Gibson. Yeah. I, I I think that you need to have at least a couple seasons of play before you're willing to pay guys like that. So it's just a Sturkin, no. I, I'm not doing there's, it after one season. There's not many. Honestly, the number two for me, uh, I also really like Hellebuck. But uh, you say Soros in Nashville. I feel like his body of work to this point is, is enough where he'd be up there. But it, it, there's not many guys. No, that's the thing. And and the thing is, what's crazy to me is like, you look at, especially in free agency, how much per year these goalies get paid. And not even just the length of their contract. I, I feel like, like who was the one that signed in Boston? Um, Oh, just last year. Yeah. Um, That was the dude from Buffalo. Linus Allmark. Yeah. What did he end up getting paid? Four years, 20 million. Yeah, five years, f- five like million a year. Whenever yeah. I I wrote an article about him coming to the Penguins, I was thinking you'd sign him for like three or three and a half. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I a hundred percent agree. I mean, cause the reverse side of that is you kind of try to recreate the 2016 penguins where it didn't matter who was in net and you can insulate them with a better, you know, forward and defensive group. And you just have like average goalie play, but yeah, I mean, at least to, and maybe someone that knows the prospect pool better, at least right now, in my estimation, I would give Jari a contract in terms of length of the contract that you are waiting out until Joel Blomquist is your goalie. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the guy we've talked about. Um, all right. Well, that's it, Penguins-wise. Like I said, next week we'll have more on that kind of given predictions towards the season. Uh, only thing to talk about the Pirates. <laughs> Miguel Andujar is a Pittsburgh Pirate. It, it's so crazy. This is a guy that we've been talking about for years in terms of a trade. It was like him and Clint Frazier were always I mean, coming we're, up. We're going back to like the Garrett Cole trade. Right. Or like Garrett yeah. Cole talks. He was pretty much untouchable for the Yankees. And they tried to trade him again. This deadline couldn't do it. They uh, DFA him and the Pirates claim him on the waivers. A nice showing so far in a very short period of time for the Pirates as well. But like this is one of those moves where like teams like the Pirates have to hit on this. Like it's 100% worth it. I understand he hasn't shown much since his ridiculous 2018 season. He's been hurt a lot and he hasn't been good when healthy. But this is a lottery ticket. And for a team like the Pirates, these are the types of things where hitting on something like this can completely change the way that you're looking about the team. Like if this, if we get a 2018 version of Miguel Anjuhar, that's you know the type of thing that's going to make the Pirates be able to compete in like 2024. You know, it is so funny to me that I see this article on Fansided that says Miguel Anjuhar joining Pirates angers Yankees fans over lost Garrett Cole trade. So the fact that they lost Anyahar for nothing and they they couldn't get him in a Garrett Cole trade, I, I don't under, really understand that. But it's so funny. And, and the freaking ignorance of this, the Yankees have been a disappointment for a long time is one of the sentences in the first two paragraphs. They don't know what disappointment is. I don't know that any New Yorker knows what disappointment means. <laughs> I we we You and I have seen four winning seasons in our entire lives of baseball. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think that anyone from New York, Mets or Yankees, can say that they know what disappointment is in terms of their baseball team. Yeah, sorry, I I have no empathy for Yankees fans. That's for sure. But seriously, like Miguel Andujar, you look at what he did in 2018. Super impressive. Kind of jumped onto the scene. Was a finalist for AL Rookie of the Year. And then you look at what his career has done has been like since then, and there's nothing. And he's been hurt a lot, hasn't been able to stay in the field, and he hasn't been Was he been hurt good. the following year in 2019? Uh, because he only bel- played 12 games. Yeah, all right. That makes sense. But I don't, I don't remember what the injuries were. Like, cause I don't it, know. It's a relatively, I feel like, lengthy list of injuries now that he's piled up over the last few seasons, and he just hasn't been the same player. I mean, they sent him down less than two years removed from that 2018 season he had. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, in a couple of games for the Pirates, he didn't look so bad. So, But is this, to you, their way of trying to find a first baseman? Because obviously he's not going to be playing at third base with Key Bryan there. Uh, it could be, especially because when you look at the Pirates organization right now, um, who's going to be playing first base that's not on the MLB level right now? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I can Ma- tell you it's not going to be Mason I, Martin. I was going to say, I know Mason Martin is probably the, the gut reaction to a lot of people listening to that, but 
it's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, and, and speaking of first base, I it did kind of suck to see Michael Chavis get DFA'd just because I understand that he hasn't been like the same player and he could, he didn't hit righties like at all this year. And his WRC plus against lefties only ended up being a 96. So still below league average by the time that his Pirates tenure came to an end. But you just want to talk about like an, an always positive guy, like in a bad situation this year on this Pirates team. He's just so awesome. Like you hear him talk after the games and he's one of the guys that like always makes himself available to the media and mm-hmm. just being willing to play wherever. Like he, he's five foot 10 playing at first base and giving him the only defensive presence that they've had there all season, easily their best defensive first base option all year. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, cap tip to him, wish him nothing but the best, but yeah, his pirates uh, tenure did come to an end. I almost thought like, I, I figured it wouldn't happen this season. It was kind of a weird time to DFA him. But I almost thought they'd like to bring him back next year as like an option off the bench against lefty specifically. Clearly not. <laughs> yeah, clearly not. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind I mean, of the way there's, I'm only, at there's it. only like a week left, and <laughs> clearly yeah. not. That's not the case. Nope. I mean, I guess that theoretically they could bring him back in the offseason. That would be hilarious. But I uh no, I to answer uh the question that I posed to you, I think it is. I think this is their first option at first base for next year. I think they want to spend like all off season and then spring training him getting reps at first base and see if they can make that work. Well, hey, the Pirates are holding off those 100 losses right now because they swept. They the need Reds. to go what four and two in the final they, two series. They need to go four and two against the Cardinals over the last six to avoid 100 losses. They're currently at 97. And, and, and I, I mean, to be fair. After the uh, what, what series was it? It was, it was I think it was during the Cubs series. Whenever they lost, let's see, they would lost three of four. I was like, all right, just chalk it up. It's probably going to happen in this in the next like few games. They, they swept the Reds, so there's still a chance that that's the case. They've got three in St. Louis and three in Pittsburgh. I I, I don't know. Do you think uh, by the time we record our next episode? The Pirates season will be over. Are they going to reach 100 losses? Yeah. Yep. I think they're going to go two and four in this final six. Yeah. I mean, four and two, I feel like, is a tall task for the Especially because they're on, like, a little bit of a nice stretch right now already. So then to add on four and two in the final six, like, that would be... But, like, they are playing good ball right now. It's just a good ball, for- but I think four and two is tough for me to confidently say the pirates can do against a six game series over any team, but let it get, let alone like the Cardinals. And I feel like the Cardinals just have a mental edge over the pirates as well. Whenever they play them recently, I, I just, and, I don't see anything happening. Yeah. And the Cardinals, they, they have the division locked up, but I would imagine like I'm looking at it now. No, actually they're not playing for anything. <laughs> they're stuck in that because the Dodgers and Braves are so far ahead of them in the one and two spots. So, yeah, they're not playing for anything. So, I guess the Pirates do have that on their side. They have that, but the the <laughs> Cardinals playing for nothing is probably still better than the Pirates playing for everything. Yeah. I mean, if I'm the Cardinals, I'm shutting down everybody right now then, until the playoffs, but that's just me. Yeah, well, we'll we'll talk to you next week whenever the Pirates have probably like 101 uh, losses. And I owe Doran the money, so. <laughs> still can't believe uh, you made that bet. Uh, dude, it's just with how, their their winning percentage in 2020 would have been well over 100 losses. Then 100 losses last year, I was like, "There's no way 
I know. Straight years like this and, doesn't. And happen. then there's yeah, and uh, I, like I said before on a different show, I was shocked whenever I looked back because people talk about pirates on hundred losses like it happens like every other year, mm-hmm. but I was shocked to know that before 2021 they had only done it like five times in their history. Yeah, exactly. History was not on the side of this happening, and they still managed to do it. So hats off to them. Maybe they just knew. Doran told them like, "Hey, I made a bet with Smitty." You got to pull through. Probably. Yeah, he got in their ear. Don't call up Cruz until this point. Make sure you said nah, we, we knew that was going to happen either way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, But all right. I don't have anything else uh, unless you do. Nope. Uh, as Tyler mentioned at the beginning of the show, be sure to check out Rocking Around the 412. Whether you're on Twitter, if you are, you can check out our pinned tweet. It will take you to the GoFundMe. All the information will be right there. If you're not on Twitter, just go to GoFundMe.com, type in Rockin' Around the 412, and you will find it right there. It's our yearly Christmas mission. We've raised $20,000 in the first four years of doing it. Every single penny that is donated goes directly to families in the 724 and 412 areas to provide Christmas for them. Toys, electronics, makeup, art supplies, anything that they could want on a Christmas list, we get it for them. We also get the family a $100 gift card to be able to pr- provide groceries to get themselves uh, that holiday meal. So it's, it's literally Christmas in its entirety provided by you guys, uh, I guess, kind of through us. And for doing so, we always uh, give prizes away to those who donate. So we're still kind of compiling that list. Don't have a ton yet. We know we're going to have um, actually shout out to uh, our friend Kim, Kimmy Flanders. Obviously, everybody knows her son, Jeffrey, one of the most popular people on Steelers Twitter. Um, but she gave me a Gunnar Olszewski football autograph football that she got at training camp to give mm-hmm. away for this thing as well. So nice. that would definitely be one of the prizes. Obviously, I'm going to get a st- ton of stuff from uh, pristine auctions to give away as well. So go check out our pin tweet or GoFundMe.com, rocking around the 412 to get involved with that. Anybody who donates will be eligible to win these prizes. Um, other than that, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Leave us a like. Subscribe to the channel here. Leave us a like and subscribe wherever you're listening to this. You can actually subscribe to the link tree itself, I just realized. So you oh, can do that as okay. well. Um, but wherever you're listening or watching to uh, watching us, we can't thank you enough. For Smitty, for Tyler, this is Around the 412, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.